Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland Before we get into this episode, we have a special announcement to make. To celebrate four years of the Rational Republican podcast, Nick and I are going to host a meetup. The meetup will take place at Steeplejack Brewing at 5834 Northeast Pine Farm Court in Hillsboro 97124. It'll be on January 20th, 2023 at 6 p.m. So we will send out an invite to all of our past guests and see who shows up. If you could, please RSVP to james at jamesaball.com or just show up. We'll see you there. On this episode of the podcast, we welcome back Mr. Stephen Lloyd. Stephen is the chairman of the Oregon Young Republicans and former chairman of the Multnomah County Republican Party. But we're actually not going to talk about any of that. Well, we might at some point, but we're really here to talk about the oil and gas industry and fracking in particular, because before Stephen came to Oregon, he worked in that industry and has some pretty firsthand knowledge about fracking and what it is. And, um, you know, it's not something we deal with a lot here in Oregon because it's illegal, even though there's nobody was trying to frack. <laughs> so, but it's illegal anyway, even though there's anyway. Um, so before we get started, uh, Stephen, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, James. I appreciate uh, you. Stephen has a, a, uh, a land acknowledgement that he would like to read before we get started. Yeah. I'd like to set the tone for this evening, James. Thank you. Thank you. So, as we recognize that America sits on land that was provided us with abundant and almost limitless oil, gas, coal, and nuclear resources, it is because of this bountiful land that gives the left-wing environmentalists the ability and freedom to ignorantly hate what separates us from the third world, our natural resources. To be consistent with our traditional values of American exceptionalism, we have a responsibility to acknowledge, honor, and make visible the men and women who have sacrificed working across this great country in the most extreme environments for the raw materials to create the comforts of modern society. So as you leave comments on this podcast, thank a miner and an oil field worker. Amen. Miner, M-I-N-E-R, by the way. Don't yes, find a yes. 14-year-old <laughs> to clarify. So, I, so to, to just kind of kick off in fifth gear what's what is a land use statement uh you know it's it's kind of a virtue signal a flag that the left <laughs> likes to wave uh, because they like to uh kind of recognize the native it's- tribes that they stole the land from because they feel guilty about it for something that happened over four or five or maybe even six generations ago um I always feel like it's kind of conservatives will like do a prayer, an invocation, mm. and this is kind of like the the left's version of that, where they you know talk about the the stolen land with which they have no intention of 
giving back or yeah. really doing anything about, mm-hmm. but you know, we want to acknowledge it so that we can, for unknown reasons. I, I've always thought that that was really funny. If you feel that guilty about it, it's really not difficult right. to transfer a deed <laughs> to uh, anybody. You, can, you uh, can find a county official. We'll get them on this podcast. Yeah. And you can make a big you show can, of it. Mm-hmm. You can give your house to a Native American that was stolen. That's stolen stole land. Yeah. My brother-in-law graduated. I don't graduated. see anyone lining up to do that. Yeah. Yep. My brother-in-law graduated. Uh, this was earlier in, earlier in the year with his master's from a school in Northern California. And they... In the graduation ceremony, they spent 20 minutes walking through. I was like, we want to acknowledge that we are on stolen land. And I was like, y'all are charging these students like $80,000 a year for tuition. You, you, you could kick some of that the other way if you really, <laughs> really wanted to. There's going to be something you can do about it. But Well, I think it's a perfect example because we're actually doing this up in North Portland. And uh, North Portland has been gentrified by, I'm going to say the whitest people in Portland <laughs> are, are taking over the, uh, the the Williams area. And, you know, it's it's really interesting. Like I said, if you feel so inclined and you feel so much injustice in the world has been done, uh, you can go ahead and deed your home uh, to any number of groups of affected peoples. Yeah. I, uh, so the, the hospital up here in North Portland that, yeah. uh, destroyed an entire neighborhood when they built it. They have a mural on the wall depicting all of the, all the homes in the community that was destroyed to put, uh, I think it's Legacy Emanuel up there. Yeah. That, so, you know, it, well, as long as you acknowledge it, it's okay. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that all this is like to, to kind of circle back, uh, land use and fracking and all these different things. It, it all plays a really big, part of what it means to be an American nowadays. And the fact that the the whole reason why this area is kind of so messed up in Portland is because they didn't want to run the highway uh, towards the, the rich white homes over by Swan Island. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the whole reason why North Portland cuts the way that it does kind of through the heart of those communities. And it, it just comes down to, uh, you know, just a, an interesting way to get rid of the constituents you don't like. And uh, prop up the people that are going to give you money. Yeah, so. and uh, James, I know this is the point of you, and I, we have a whole podcast yeah, with yeah, stuff yeah. to go. Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to. <laughs> no, this no, is just a fun kind yeah, of like yeah. thing to spin our wheels yeah. on. But uh, James, I know you say this all the time. It's this is Portland is the whitest major mm. city in the country, mm-hmm. and all yep. of the the redlining policies yep. and the highway and the Rose Corps and mm-hmm. everything like that was promulgated by white Democrats in the mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, up until today. And the urban growth boundary is an extension of that racist policy. Yep. Like that, that the urban growth boundary serves the exact same purpose that redlining does. Mm-hmm. It keeps wealthy landowners rich. And if you are a minority immigrants and less likely to own a home, uh, you can't afford to live here. Well, and I think that's really interesting because you hear the stuff on the news like just today that the Portland Housing Bureau or whatever is just opening up more and more, uh, quote unquote, affordable housing or subsidized housing. And I think it's really interesting because they have a complete monopoly on being able to put in a brand spanking new high rise apartment complex. Like yeah. it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to develop here. It's really hard to even fix up your house in Portland. And so that's a Democrat solution to a Democrat caused problem <laughs> is, is we have a housing problem. So instead of blowing out the urban growth boundary and allowing more, mm-hmm. you know, capitalism to take advantage of the abundant natural resources, i.e. land, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to constrain the supply of housing and then we're going to subsidize and give, you know, subsidized housing to the people that we deem fit. And it's, it's frustrating, but that's the... And create projects. 
Right. <laughs> All right. We are we are getting way off topic. Yeah. Why yeah, yeah. well, don't so <laughs> back no topics back for a to, rational republic. Yeah, back we just to, well, talk. I, I have a had a title in mind. Now yeah, I have to change yeah. it. Um, so <laughs> fracking. So yeah. fracking is the process of extracting natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably all I know. Other than there's like slurry that you pumped into the ground and then the gas comes up, and uh, that's that's the extent of my knowledge. So um, enlighten me on kind of the process. Absolutely. We'll start from there. Absolutely. So I just want to kind of throw out my qualifications real quick. So, hmm. uh, so you guys kind of understand. Um, I worked in the oil and gas industry for a little, little under a decade. And uh, I worked primarily in the uh, Pinedale Anacline fields out in Wyoming and up in the, uh, the Bakken up in North Dakota. And I spent just a little bit of time up in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, um, unfortunately, I was not eaten by a polar bear. So, um, wait, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. and fortunately, <laughs> and fortunately, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, it would um, also make for a fun podcast. Yes, it would make a great story. <laughs> so, um, in my time in the oil and gas industry, I was what um, I was what we call a field service engineer. And while it's not an engineer in the traditional sense, um, much what it, like Alan Alley is not an engineer. So go, <laughs> go ahead, friend of the pod. <laughs> so, uh, what we did as a wireline engineer is we tested the what the oil wells that were drilled, and we made sure that they complied with uh, state and federal regulations to make sure that they were safe and that they weren't contaminating the groundwater. And then we also um, we worked with uh, a number of different types of tools that gave us the ability to locate very precisely uh, which pocket or where within the wellbore had uh, pockets of oil, pockets of gas, also pockets of water. And it was really, really important because um, when you think about the way that our geology works, um, it's kind of like a huge layer cake, right? Um, and there are certain levels that we're allowed to uh, access for the minerals. Um, and you're not allowed to access mineral resources like gas or water, or I'm sorry, gas or oil anywhere near there is a drinkable water source, right? Sure. You're not going to frack in the Ogallala Aquifer out in Nebraska. You're not going to frack next to a large body of water. You're not going to do it because there's actually been some incidences uh, you can look it up online um, in Louisiana where this this driller, he drilled into the bottom of this lake uh, using directional drilling technology, I believe. And since he was lower than the lake, the lake drained oh, catastrophically drained. and it caused a massive disaster. And that was caused by negligence. Okay, mm. And so that's going to be kind of a... Um, Something that I will hit on and something that, um, that we're, no matter where you are within society, you have responsibility to know what you're doing, to be qualified and to not be negligent when you do your work. In addition to that, I want you guys to know that, um, you know, growing up in the, in the Midwest, growing up in that, that part of the country, um, I'm a sportsman and I love the environment that I live mm-hmm. in. I love the environment. Um, and I want to pass that on to my children because I feel like that is their birthright. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that they have uh, clean rivers to to, to uh, fish in, and I want them to have beautiful mountains that aren't strip mined off the top. To you know, I, I want them to be able to enjoy the wilderness in a more pristine than when I got here. 
So, mm-hmm. with all that being said, let's get into fracking. Okay. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> so, like I said, after we find out where those pockets of oil and gas are, um, then what my crew would do is we would run a string of explosives down into that hole, and we would puncture those um, those pockets. Okay, and as we do, that's when the frat crew would come in. Now, the reason why we're doing that is because um, traditional oil wells were vertical. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just like a straw. You poke it in the ground, you hope you get something. That's mm-hmm. called wildcatting. You're just kind of poking around. But when it comes to um, what they call non-traditional or shell oil um, extraction, what that is, is it's where we're using directional drilling and because directional what, meaning other directions than down, right? Sideways, yeah. You know, I don't up. Can you drill up? You can absolutely gr- drill up, and it is a giant pain for my guys out in the field. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So, what happens is, um, as you look at that layer cake and you see the way that it stratifies, we've gotten a lot of the easy oil that was just kind of seeping out of the ground. No joke. Back in the day, it used to really just come out of the ground naturally. You talking about oil, oil, or, or oil, natural oil. gas? Okay, oil, yeah. oil, oil, not. Um, yeah. But natural gas is the same thing. Um, y- you can find. So, what what really is the difference between natural gas and oil? Like, is it chemically different? Or yes, it, it okay. absolutely is. So, natural gas is is. I assume li- so. I just it, it, it's literally uh, a whole bunch of different chemistries of natural gases flowing out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be they can be made out of. Um, I mean, depending on where your deposit is, it can be, they call it sweet gas or sour gas. And what sweet gas is, is that it's really easy to refine and it's really cost effective because you don't have to run it through any other processes. Sour gas, on the other hand, it's highly corrosive and it will kill you very, very quickly. It's very, very dangerous to work in a sour gas field. Um, and we won't get into that too much, but it's a very exciting and I've got some pretty good stories about that stuff. Um, maybe an after hours podcast for that. Um, but TRR after dark, after dark, um, oil field stories. Now I got some stuff that'll, that'll curl your hair. And so, um, so then when we look at, uh, oil, oils is similar, uh, in that fashion. Um, when you look at the different types of, uh, oil, like you look down at the, uh, I think it's the Brentwood crude or the Eagleford shell down in Texas. All of that stuff is like green and sweet and it's really easy to access, right? They just got a tremendous amount of easy oil, mm-hmm. right? That's right, Texas. All you oil field workers, you have the easiest oil to access. So <laughs> just saying, uh, get some rivalry go, up in here. About- let's go. <laughs> Saying this to the Longhorn. That's right. That's right. And so when we talk about my time in Wyoming, that was mostly all natural gas. Um, And that's really a kind of a special place for me because uh, it's where I kind of cut my teeth. And the thing about Wyoming and its natural gas is we literally have proven natural gas reserves that if we turned off every other form of electricity... Every other form of power generation, and we just converted straight over to Wyoming natural gas, we could convert the entire economy of the United States, including our military and everything else, and run it off of Wyoming's natural gas Hmm. for like 76 years. Hmm. We are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. And 
it makes no sense to me when I hear, you know, places like Seattle or places down in like Los Angeles saying that they're not, that they won't allow you to put natural gas into your home because it's too dangerous. Well, I think there's two, uh, it's, they don't, it's, it's more of a, an environmental thing. It's not, it's too dangerous, right? Because okay. we get natural gas here, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I've, well, for now. Yeah, right. <laughs> now. They're trying to kill the industry. Um, well, tell me, tell me why you think that uh, it's environmental and about. Uh, well, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate okay. just to just to for the sake of conversation mm-hmm. because uh, looking at this goes we'll just back way up. Yeah, yeah. Um, things like the Paris Climate Agreement, mm-hmm. where every country in the world gets together and says, "Hey, we are going to uh, with no with no strings, no teeth, no obligation, but we're all going to agree to uh, to meet these climate goals." Mm-hmm. Uh, Zero countries. Yes. None of them met their goals. It was Uh a completely, complete waste of time. Um, However, one country uh, got closest, reduced their carbon emissions the the lowest amount, the closest to their to what they what which they one was that? To. that was the United States USA. of America USA USA and it was USA. largely <laughs> largely due to replacing coal with natural gas. Mm. Natural gas is considerably cleaner than coal. And so if you look at this from a liberal, liberal perspective, you, you have say fossil fuels are bad, no fossil fuels at all whatsoever, uh, completely ignoring the fact that we are still getting a ton of our electricity from coal, which burns very, very dirty. And there's a, a, a statement, don't let the perfect be the enemy of good, mm-hmm. you know, or something to that effect. And I feel like natural gas is kind of the good. It's a step in the direction of reducing our carbon emissions as a country. Yeah. Uh, and yet... The left would rather us just burn coal. They would rather have us freeze to death in the winter. Yes. Um, and to be, this is this is something that I thought about even when I worked in the oil and gas and industry. Why aren't we using this? It makes so little sense to me because we have the natural gas, we have the ability to do that, and if we converted our economy over to it, it would be millions of tons of carbon emissions that weren't going into the atmosphere. Natural gas is less powerful than gasoline, mm-hmm. but it is so much cleaner for your engine. And if you think about it in the in burning in an internal combustion engine, if it's cleaner to burn in your engine, you're doing less oil changes, which means less real oil uh, having to be swapped out and bought and everything else like that. And what I'm saying is let's use that natural gas on our way to transition to a more powerful infrastructure and you could literally go from natural gas to hydrogen incredibly easily. Hmm. And so if we build out the infrastructure and we build out the shops that are able to convert vehicles over to natural gas and then to hydrogen, then now we're talking about a country where we don't have to spend so much money in building brand spanking new cars, which actually your brand spanking new car puts way more carbon into the environment than keeping your old one on the road. Even though it's less efficient from a gas mileage standpoint. Correct. Creating a new vehicle uh, mm-hmm. from raw materials. Yeah, that's a good point. Boy, I'm I really think- glad I told you guys I was on the phone with USAA tonight getting car insurance for my new car. Just <laughs> sitting over here taking pot shots at me like I'm not going to know what you're talking about. Come on. What are you, you know, all these Sorry, liberals going to get mad at me. So, I, so I, I'm actually curious and I, I am very interested mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I should be sitting here taking notes about all this like this great stuff that you're walking us through but to kind of pull up for a second from a 30,000 foot view Mm -hmm. we are we're recording this on Wednesday December 14th it's still technically fall for another seven days but we are about to head into a an extremely cold and extremely wet winter here in Portland 
Europe is about to head into an extremely cold, extremely snowy winter because they're largely dependent on energy from Russia. And they're not going to get that much energy from Russia while Russia's in the middle of a war with the Ukraine. They've right. already slapped sanctions. All this is six ways mm-hmm. from Sunday. Is this going to be the thing that says for for Democrats, we can go from being absolutists to say, you know, climate, anything that contributes to climate change is bad and we should all just, you know, have our, you know, hopes and dreams be the things that power our cars and everything. Is there any kind of possibility that after this winter, after there are literally hundreds, thousands of individuals in, in Eastern Europe who will die mm-hmm. because they cannot heat themselves because yeah. they do not have the power, the energy, the resources, hundreds of thousands in Western Europe, yeah. first world countries who see their disposable income shrink to zero because they're trying to heat their houses, they're trying to keep their families alive. Is this going to be the thing, the tipping point, the first domino for the left that says, hey, there's a better way to do this? Unfortunately, I don't think so. No, I'll say unequivocally no. And to be brutally honest, I think that the left doesn't care whether people freeze in their home. Um, and well, they they drank the Kool Aid. I mean, this has been drilled into everybody's heads mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember. Of we are destroying the planet. If we don't fix it now, we are all going to die. And none of those statements are true. But, I mean, the the global warming is a thing. We humans are contributing to it. At least that's what I believe. But no, it is not nearly as extreme or catastrophic as the left makes it out to be. But if you believe that we are going to destroy the planet and it will be in unlivable, unhabitable. In 20 years, which is literally what they're being told. <laughs> no. Um, it, yeah, then you're, no, your climate is the number one, the only thing that matters. So I, I'll say no. Well, and what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to take a step back and who's actually doing something about the environment? Who's actually uh, making those changes? And do you know the reason why we do fracking? It's because it's better for the environment than traditional drilling. Hmm. To drill one oil well is not very efficient, and it uses a tremendous amount of energy. And when oil was easy, it was easy to pull oil out of the ground. When we frack, now we don't have to drill like 15 to 20 wells. So we're able to extract way more resources, better bang for the buck, better juice for the squeeze. Um, and in that fact, we're able to we're able to access these resources. And it's the oil and gas industry, and it's the technology that is allowing us to make our planet a little bit cleaner and better off. And the, and what I'm trying to say is, it's like back in the 1960s and 70s, uh, there was all these movies like uh, Planet of the Apes and Soylent Green and all this stuff. And the liberals back then were pushing this idea that overpopulation, overpopulation, overpopulation. Yeah. yeah. And what they didn't take into consideration is the technologies that we would get when it comes to, uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, anhydrous, uh, basically artificial fertilizer. Yeah. And all of these different technologies that we were able GMOs to- GMOs are huge. Well, Without GMOs, we could not feed the planet. And while I agree that I'm, I, I am skeptical and I have questions about GMOs, well, we have more. Not, not all are not all well, GMOs are created. Yeah, are created. Like, like yeah. So. Well, and I just have questions, right? Sure. And sure. I haven't get I haven't given the time enough to and the effort or the research to do it. We got a but. buddy who, um, whose father, uncle, somebody mm-hmm. is like retired from Monsanto, and he's got mm-hmm. really interesting views. Uh, Alex. I would listen to that podcast. We should get him on. Get him on. We'll get him Monsanto. On. I think he actually he drives a lot. I think he listens to us. Does he? Well, yeah. Alex, if you want to come on the pod and talk about Monsanto, that'd be actually there, that really actually would be a really interesting one. 
I believe Monsanto should have won Nobel Prizes for the work that they did in the late 90s, early 2000s, and now they're the paragon of, of corporate evil, right, villainous, right, whatever. Right. But that's that's neither here nor there. I, I, I was going to say, I, first off, I appreciate that the all of the movies that you picked from the 70s all involve Charlton Heston, <laughs> yes, who was yes, the yes. president of the NRA for a while, about the world ending. So that's one way or another. He's going to shoot him dead or we're going to overpopulate him dead, but the world's ending somehow with Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But... I do it. Do you want to pick another one? I'll give you. (laughs) (laughs) 2001, sort of, that could be the world ending. The Shining, if they extrapolate Um, that from a, which is actually, I've never been to Timberland. Justin Heston in, in The Shining? No, we wouldn't. No, no, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying, like other other movies oh, from that. We can era. do a deep fake and was, put him in there if you'd like. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah. <laughs> we, It'd be way scary. I was gonna say no, AI stuff. Now a... you could you could absolutely yeah. put that in there. Like program an AI bot to what would Charlton Heston be oh, like geez. in The Shining? You could have some fun. Oh we could this podcast could go a whole different. He's you know, riding that tricycle. We're gonna we're gonna be an AI, <laughs> AI, oh my AI movie podcast. Well, well so, so I I don't want to get too da- far down this right. rabbit hole um, okay. with. Uh, well, not the movie thing. You guys can talk yeah. about that. But um, I don't want to talk too much about nuclear. But being that it is, I love it. The, Wait, I, I love want it. to talk well, about yeah, nuclear. It, it, That's well, not... we want to talk about fracking. But well, I guess okay. Uh, we we talk, about yeah. But this is this is um, we're making we're recording this on the fourteenth. Yeah. Yesterday, mm-hmm. they announced that in Livermore, uh, the Lawrence Livermore National Lab, the uh, nuclear fission or fusion, excuse me, nuclear fusion, they created a nuclear fusion that's actually produced more energy than it than they put in, which is a huge step that had never been happened, never taken yeah. place before uh, on a step to nuclear fusion. Oh, generation. America's doing some really great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Amazingly. Pretty great place. Pretty good yeah. place. USA. Yeah. USA. <laughs> but I mean, so as, we're talk- as long as we're talking about alternative <laughs> fuels, I mean, nuclear is far and away the best, greenest, source of fuel that well, we can have and i mean fission or fusion yeah. but you know have you heard of the natural uh, uh atomic generator that was found in africa uh no so there is this there's this like uh three or I four the, i thought you were talking about the sun but like, well no no, no. <laughs> there's there's like a three or four million what? year like old uh uranium reactor uh, i believe um, all you nerds in the comments questions are going to call me out on it. But um, basically, the way that this uh, this rock formation works is there's a radioactive uh, isotope that's inside of it. And whenever the groundwater floods, it heats up uh, due to a chain reaction when uh, two of these radioisotopes come together. And it causes the water to boil. And then what happens is the groundwater kind of evaporates and then uh-huh. it drops down. And it works... Like a traditional, um, hmm. it works it's a reactor. Like, like a, a reactor, like a perfect, yeah. perfect reactor that's just making hot water, and it's worked for all those times. Millennia, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned that fracking is okay. is more environmentally mm-hmm. friendly than than just drilling a whole bunch and of just oil tr- holes. Poking holes. Um, I mean, so some of the concerns I've heard mm-hmm. about fracking is that it flames will come out of your sink. Oh yeah, I saw a documentary well, with. Mm-hmm. John Krasinski and Matt Damon. So it, it the <laughs> we're back on the movies now. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh. <laughs> but contaminating the water, yeah. the water supply, like yeah. that's that's a concern that people have. So let's and talk about that. Yeah. All right. Let's so do it. I know where that exact uh, documentary was filmed. It's it's out in Wyoming, and I have to tell you, I have to tell you that that town that that was at. Um, there's like seven people who live out in that town. <laughs> and 
the groundwater has never been good there. And do you remember how I talked about how uh, the strata of our planet is like a layer cake? Yeah. Well, sometimes those layers, they they do what's called communicating, right? And it's where natural gas will slide up into a pocket of, of like this large underground cavern of where their water is there, okay? And this, this happens naturally, okay? Communication between different layers of, of rock, whether it be, you know, limestone or dolomite or all these different types of minerals, they have different types of what's called porosity, okay? It means like holes or like a sponginess of the element. And because of fluid dynamics, that stuff flips and moves around, does all kinds of funky stuff. Um, and so what happens is, is if you drilled an oil well, or I'm sorry, if you drilled your water well a little too deep and you punctured a natural gas vein, you might not know about it for years and years and years until that formation flips. And then all of that natural gas starts to migrate up into that pocket of groundwater hmm. or the groundwater mixes. And I don't want to blame the people who live there for drilling their water wells too deep. But I will say this. I will say this. It is against federal regulations for an oil and gas um, service company to, one, not do a, um, a ground survey and log that entire well. It is against the law for them to uh, utilize explosives under or before or during their that groundwater area. And all of these things are huge penalties and huge fines, and you have to submit all of this stuff to the state. And a state person is supposed to go through and say, hey, 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 wait a minute. You guys access this groundwater. Um, and it would be very, very easy for those people to be able to go in and say, hey, we'd like to get the surveys of those wells. And um, it would be very easy to say, you guys punctured our water well, which means you guys get to buy us a brand new house and a big old chunk of land and all this other stuff. Hmm. But they didn't. And you can actually go to all kinds of places all over the world where there's not active natural gas or oil extraction. And you can see where naturally occurring natural or natural gas coming out of the, the ground and contaminating groundwater. And it's not like contaminate. I mean, you could probably get sick off of it because it is a bunch of um, decomposing gases from millions upon millions of years, right? I would love to be able to see it under a microscope. Um, yeah. I, I bet there's really crazy things swimming around in there. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, Dead things. Yeah, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so with that being said, there are many places in the world where this does occur. These natural gas flow through the groundwater and contaminate water. And I've seen the same thing where you can light your tap water. But does that mean the oil and gas companies did it? No, not necessarily. And to, to speak directly about the uh, community in Wyoming, at that time they had a place called um, Tar River Road. Do you know why it was called Tar River Road? Three Be guesses. Because oil was literally seeping out of the ground and flowing down the hill, and they made it a road because it was easier to travel on it. Hmm. When you have when you have these strata of oil and natural gas naturally coming out of these pockets, I mean, you're at surface level. If you drill a bit in order to try and extract a little bit of groundwater, there's a good chance you're going to hit something. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to lean on them to prove that their groundwater wasn't contaminated by by the industry. So you mentioned puncture, and this mm -hmm. is something you and I kind of briefly talked about at our last kind of informal discussion about this. Um, 
a lot of the concerns about contaminating of groundwater, mm-hmm. uh, it happens at very, very different levels. Yes. Like the groundwater is very close to the surface mm-hmm. and you're, you're drilling. Yeah. Thousands, thousands of feet. Thousands of feet. Yeah. So, um, we're talking about, uh, if anybody in the comments section below will go ahead and write what their deepest water well on their property is, I would really like to see, um, I can almost guarantee you that nobody has a water well that goes deeper than 300 feet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you think about that, when we're extracting, like, I'm going to say specifically the Pinedale or I'm sorry, the, uh, the Bakken oil down up in, in North Dakota. Um, the Bakken, we're talking about like 12,000 feet. Mm. Like it's deep. So you're nowhere near the groundwater. No. Like, so if you don't, if you get through that top layer without puncturing yeah. any groundwater, mm-hmm. you're basically free and clear. Well, and, and let's kind of talk about the anatomy of an oil well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say that you, you drill the oil well. Um, and you put what's called uh, casing in it, and it's a metal it's a metal tube. And then from that tube, you're going to pump cement around the entire backside of it. Okay. And so what this does is this creates um, they call it an annulus, uh, and it's it's a place where you can uh, convey tools in and out of it in order to do the well servicing that you need to. And so if you've got steel and you've got concrete. And then you send my guys out to go uh, survey that well. And we say, yep, that steel casing is solid. And we were able to pressure test that. And we were able to pump 10,000, 11,000 PSI against it. And we had no change in well bore. Then now we can say that that is a solid well test. It is safe. We can do whatever we want with it. And then we also go through and we run a tool through it that we can actually, um, we can see the quality of the, of the concrete around it. And it uses sound. It's a sonic tool. And what it does is it makes these interesting little clicks. And what happens is, uh, the vibration of those high pitched noises can tell the difference between voids in mm-hmm. the concrete. They can tell voids within water or gas or oil. And it's a very, very interesting tool. Super cool stuff. If you're, if you're a tech dork, they need you in the oil field. Um, and, uh, yeah. I don't know Go apply today. You're going to get out of Portland, <laughs> Oregon from, from that. Also, can I just say, I, we didn't ask you to do this, but I pre, this is like the third time you've referenced in the comment section. Somebody go through and say, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know what other podcasts you do that get comments, but I don't think ours gets You're going to get a lot. <laughs> you can, you're going to get a lot. You can get comment. You can comment. So if anybody, you can't. Well, and we have, we have, we have Facebook. Yeah, I manage our Twitter. I get in, my wife yells at me because I get in fights with myself. I changed the, <laughs> from rational Republican to my own account. And I just like argue. Like how about, how about forth. graffiti? <laughs> A nasty message on some Portland wall, someplace. We put there. We, we put, go. The, That's the, we put yeah. the email address in there, so if people want to email. Yeah, nasty definitely. Comments, I would can, love yeah. to be able to answer your guys' questions about e- email your stuff. nasty questions. Yeah. Uh, James at jamesaball dot com. If mm-hmm. you want to email me, I'll forward it on to Stephen. Awesome, awesome. So uh, you were wondering about fracking in particular. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about the anatomy of the oil well, and then now let's talk about fracking. So. Uh, my guys have checked the well out. We make sure that it's good. We've submitted the paperwork to the federal authorities. They've, they've given their, you know, two cents and said that it's okay. So then what we go down and do is we locate the areas that have the oil and gas pockets, depending on what we're going for. Um, and it will depend on the area that you're at. Then we will, uh, locate the area and then we will puncture the well warp, uh, with shape charges in order to, um, 
in order to create a small hole that goes approximately 48 to 82 inches into the wellbore, depending on what you're trying to do. And then from there, we pull out of the hole with our tools, and then they... Um, they turn a couple of valves, and then that's when our fracking guys come in. And what frack guys are is they have a large amount of pumping equipment and a huge array of pipes and fittings and valves, and they have all these huge water tanks um, on location. And then what they do is they pump to whatever their engineers have designed for this wellbore. They can calculate approximately how much uh, oil and gas they want to extract out of it. And so what they do is they start pumping high pressure water, sand, gels, and acids down into these well bores. Now, the reason we pump sand in there is because remember how I talked about that word porosity, right? It's much easier to get oil to flow when you have these void spaces and sand creates those void spaces. Hmm. The gel makes the sand sticky. And so it sticks in there and it kind of clots in there. But the oil is able, because it because it's lighter, have you ever seen oil float on top of water? Same yeah. principle. And so as that oil uh, is trying to migrate up and out to the path of least resistance, that's when the whole fluid dynamics thing comes into process. If we can force a heavier fluid like water or a salt water into that wellbore, that's what causes everything to rise to the top. And you take that stuff off the top, you scrape it off the top, and then that's your oil. Okay. You're also going to get natural gas out of that. And here's, here's something that all of you guys got to realize. Natural gas on most, in most oil fields is actually burned off. It's completely burned off. It's wasted. It literally, we call it the torch on location. And then that's where we go to kind of warm up because there's like a 40 foot tall torch, just a flame, just burning out in the middle of nowhere. And so what that's, we sh- on, that's on oil extraction. Yes. They just burn off the natural gas. They burn off the natural gas because there is no infrastructure that is capable hmm. of handling the amount of natural gas that we produce as a byproduct. We literally throw it away. Wow. And I have to say, as a person who, who you know, who cares about the environment and who wants to get the most bang for the buck and just overall all around cheapskate. Um, <laughs> Anybody with any kind of engineering background is just going to say, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait. The byproduct mm-hmm. is something that is useful for yeah. these thousands of other things. Well, and we just throw a match on it yeah. and, you know, let guys get warm because they didn't bring their coat that day or whatever. And it's just well, like, and he, he, here's something that I'm just going to give away for free right here on this podcast. This is a billion dollar idea. Comment All below right. if you think this is a billion dollar idea. <laughs> Comment below. <laughs> Comment below. For Baker Hughes, for Schlumberger, for Halliburton, what I want you to do is I want you to take that flare stack and instead of burning that fuel off, Use it to pump into your frack engines and other oil field equipment there to power it instead of hauling fuel onto location. Wow. Literally use the natural gas to fuel your fracking operation. How you guys haven't thought about that is so (laughs) ridiculous and ignorant to me. It seems so straightforward. And that that right there, billion dollar idea. There you go. We'll call up Dick Cheney and... I'll oh see what no! He thinks. I don't. He'll ask me to go hunting, and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> uh, so one of the other uh, environmental concerns that I've heard about 
uh, about fracking is earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And I was actually, I'll, I'll jump in here before we get to, to you. Um, sorry, I'm important too. Uh, <laughs> and good looking and talented. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of those things. I just keep, keep going. Um, <laughs> no, they, they used to, when we were doing nuclear tests for nuclear bombs, mm-hmm. they would do it underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, there was a pact, uh, made international pacts that we would no longer do tests in the atmosphere or above ground for a long time. And this, the, the video I was watching was talking about how it was, it was very difficult to detect these underground nuclear tests. And so that's why they kind of left that out of the agreement is because it was basically unenforceable at the time because they figured it out now. But we would drill a hole in the ground and detonate a nuke. Yeah. To test it, mm-hmm. and it was so deep and so non-impactful that we, if you were far enough away, you couldn't even tell that you couldn't even detect it with like earthquake detecting equipment mm-hmm. with seismographs and stuff. So if we can detonate That's nuclear exactly bombs right, underground without causing like incredible damage, um, I think pouring slurry down there is probably. Probably a, not that bad. So I had to actually do some research because I've been out of the oil and gas industry for about seven years, mm. and I wanted to make sure that I was uh, wasn't just spouting stuff off the top of the head. Okay, so you touched on a couple of things. You, t- you talked about nukes, which I'm, I'm pretty interested in. The new movie Oppenheimer coming out. It's going to be great. Actually, go, go see it. They just put a new poster out today. Yeah. Since we're back on our movie, yeah, movie thing. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> How about we just do a movie? <laughs> I was going to say I would. Lo- I would love that so bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, James. Um, so, the rational movie critic. That's right. That's right. Um, so back in the day, uh, we had this program called the uh, Plowshares for Peace. You guys ever heard of that? No. Okay. So what we did is uh, there was this great propaganda film that they did, and it was like uh, Atoms for Peace. Uh, and basically what they were trying to do is they were trying to say, we have all of these really effective ways to use atomic weapons uh, in, in a functional way or in a commercial way. And so they did all sorts of like funny little things like, uh, hey, we want to build a um, we want to build a port in some place in like Southeast Asia someplace. And so what they did is they blew this huge huge chunk into the ground right off the shore because they were trying to build a port. Um, and then they also did other things like, believe it or not, try to frack with atomic bombs. <laughs> and so if you're ever interested, you can go down to, uh, I believe it's Leadville, Colorado. Uh, don't, drink, don't, don't drink the water. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, they did atomic fracking back in the day. But as we kind of talk more about... Uh, that I also want to mention the fact that um, I had an opportunity to go down to a place called Mercury, Nevada, and it is uh, hmm. one of our one of our um, atomic test sites. Yeah. Uh, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to test these test wells uh, because they wanted to see if the radioactive fallout um, would migrate because it's kind of close to Las Vegas. Um, yeah. and so we wanted to go ahead and log those wells to make sure that there wasn't higher amounts of radiation flowing towards any large populated areas. Um, and if you want to look up the results of that, I suggest you, uh, uh, do that on a freedom of information act because nobody's allowed to talk about it. <laughs> um, 
So, All right. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it is really, really interesting, um, you know, when we talk about fracking and the possibility of, of earthquakes, um, all of the research that I found, according to the USGS, and it's literally the first thing that you find when you, when you type this into your Google search, is USGS says that 2% of what's called wastewater disposal wells have the potential to cause earthquakes. And uh, I found that really, really interesting um, because a wastewater disposal well is much, much different than a fracking, like a well that you're going to frack or a well that's being put on, uh, put onto production. Uh, what a wastewater water disposal well is, is it's a place that you're going to put all of your spent well bore fluid, all of the contaminated water that needs to be processed. It's a, it's basically a staging place where we are um, grounding this water so that we can take care of the uh, treatment later. Mm-hmm. And so when you have all that frac water that has the sand in it and it's got the gel in it and it's got the acid in it and it's got all these things in it, we want to take care of it. But we don't have the technology to do that yet. So all you engineers out there, they're looking for it. Um and so baking soda, right? Just pour baking soda on the acid and it, it just it I thought you just put off. newspapers yeah. over top of it. And you just put that down. <laughs> so <laughs> evolved from this very high level engineering yeah. conversation to a yeah. fourth grade science experiment. Just hide it, just kick that ice cube under the, the, the refrigerator, right? Um so we have a situation where you have these wastewater disposal wells and the composition is much, much different. You don't have concrete and um and case and steel casing what you have is you have your steel casing on the top but it's actually drilled into what's called a salt cap and i actually have a huge kind of issue with this because people need salt mm-hmm. um and uh there's also a lot of it i mean we've got an entire ocean a, full of salt, well so, I, I, totally, I totally get it totally get it and, well yeah. And we could totally get into that about desalinization and atomic yeah. energy later, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but so we we have these salt caps, and basically what happens is they drill the well, and then they they pop a hole, they puncture a whole bunch of holes in it with explosives, and they create this void space in the earth that has this. Uh, it's a giant salt lick, and what they're able to do is they're able to. Uh, there's companies that. All they do is saltwater disposal, and they they basically house your dirty water until you're able to come and clean it up. And what happens is, unfortunately, uh, there are not the same types of requirements for saltwater disposal wells as there is regular oil and gas wells. Mm-hmm. And I think that they should have to log, and I think they should, they should have to do all of their due diligence like everybody else. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes you get what's called communication uh, due to the porosity because that salt lick may have a little crack in it. And mm-hmm. what happens is all of that gel, all of that stuff, uh, it sinks down to a layer and it communicates down. And this is great for those saltwater disposal wells because then they're able to pump more stuff down there in order to get more <laughs> money for what they invested into it. And I just want to say that that's terrible. Right. Um, if we're going to store a hazardous chemical, then what we need to do is make sure that it's safe. Yeah. Okay. In the safest way possible. And, you know, traditionally we've always stored really hazardous things in giant salt mines. Like we think about our, uh, waste uranium programs and we've stored them inside of deep, uh, salt mines, um, it, down in the, the West. And so on the face, it seems really safe. But as you take a look at it, you've got these areas where 
these things have communicated, especially in Oklahoma. And my guys down in Oklahoma, they have seen, um, they've seen earthquakes kind of, uh, start to, um, what is it called? It's like, earthquake storm or swarms Mm -hmm. and so this caused a concern because uh fracking um if you ever get an opportunity um you should actually watch one you should check it out if you if you have the ability to because it is so much horsepower that they're pumping this fluid down into the ground it shakes everything that's around you right Mm -hmm. um it's it's pretty impressive it's amazing technology um but when you actually have earthquakes, that's something that you should pay attention to. And so the USGS put up a whole bunch of these seismographs, like you were saying before. Mm-hmm. Um, they put in uh, long-term monitoring of the, all of these areas in these big oil field areas. And what they found is is that they said 2%. It's 2% of earthquakes are caused by communication of these saltwater disposal wells, not fracking. Mm-hmm. So... If we want to point a finger at an industry that that needs to up its game, it's saltwater disposal wells. And I don't want you guys hating on me and the saltwater disposal guys coming knocking on my door, but on the comments, yeah. <laughs> Do your due diligence. Do the right thing. Clean up your messes and take care of the environment. But this is but this is still like it's it's runoff from the fracking. So the fracking then, right? Okay. Well, well, yeah, but if you pay a, a guy, okay, perfect. I think to I think to an environmentalist, those are the same thing. Like, you, okay, in order to frack, you have to get rid of your waste. James, as an Oregonian, yes, you pay to have your recycling uh, shipped out of the country into China. For yes, okay, I do. So, what happens when China dumps it into the ocean? Aren't you responsible for that? Well, I mean. Yeah, I don't stop being a bad person and killing sea turtles. <laughs> no, no, I mean, <laughs> so you're, no, no, you. That's a very good point. That's a no, very good point. I, I joke with James, and but on the same side, I love sea turtles and I but care hey, about the environment. There's no straws but, in, in any of that, though, because straws are illegal in Portland. <laughs> illegal assault straws. Yeah. Um, so, but but I want to say I want to say legitimately. We should, we should be critical of literally all of these things. We should be critical of how the oil and gas industry disposes of their waste. We should be critical of how Coca-Cola gets rid of its waste. We should, we should pay attention to the way that we get rid of our waste. And if our waste literally causes the problem, then maybe we should find solutions for it. I am a huge proponent of, you know, Oregonians want to be this, you know, these environmental uh, protectors. And there are so many super fun sites in this, in this state, whether we talk about Hanford, whether we talk about the Trojan site, whether we talk about, um, you know, all of these old, uh, super fun sites from like old, uh, lumber mills that are now shut down. Yeah. Why can't we turn all of those things, uh, into mass recycling sites where we could bring jobs in and we could actually take care of the, take care of the actual trash and, and stuff that we have and turn it into actual valuable resources and perfect example. It's, it's yeah. cheaper to send it to China for they'd been dumped in the ocean. That's why. Right. <laughs> right. So that, that actually was going to be, I, I'm, sh- I don't, I, James keeps the time. I'm not the keeper of time, but I'm sure we're coming up on the, we're over, finale but of it's, our it's a, it's a yeah. fake deadline. So we can yeah. go as long as we want. I, so as our penultimate question, I would be curious. And he kind of just touched on it there. We've, we have all learned a lot. I, James, and I and any 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 
listeners who have blessed their hearts made it this far, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a lot to go over and a lot to learn and a lot to digest. Is there an action item? Is there a bill coming up here in Oregon? Is there a person who campaigned on something pro or something con? Is there something coming up in Congress? Is there a change with Republicans taking over the House? Is there something that we should all be keeping an eye out for or bugging our county chairs, writing letters to the editor, texting the mayor about something? You know, I would really like to say that there is, but because of the way that Oregon has kind of stamped their feet and, and kind of stood their ground. There's not an oil and gas company. There's nobody interested in doing business in Oregon when it comes to extractive resources. Like they're trying to kill the lumber industry like they are now. But in my opinion, I think that what is far more dangerous is that huge wind farm down in Coos County that they want to put off of the uh, commercial fishing area. That's going to kill fish. That is going to warm up the water that's down there. And if we want to talk about being environmentalists, we need to look objectively at that wind farm down there because it is going to destroy stuff and they don't even care because they're all about wind and it's not an effective technology. We could literally replace all of those dumb windmills with a, with like one thorium salt reactor that's being built right now in Idaho. I wish that there was an action item out there. But what my suggestion is for everybody, um, everybody out there is, you know, do your research and become educated about the oil and gas industry and realize this. It literally touches everything we do from petroleum jelly that you use for for chapped lips to um, the computers that you're typing on to the cell phones that uh, have lithium batteries. They all come from extracted resources. And we're not apologists for... uh, No one is an apologist for an extractive resource. But what we can be is we can be an advocate for the future and using those resources as effectively as we possibly can. And if we want to do anything, we should demand that Elon Musk builds a battery recycling facility right next to his Gigafactory um, in Sparks, Nevada. Because if he's going to create the batteries, he needs to create an ecosystem in order to recycle those batteries. And we should demand that he comes on the pod. Yeah. There you go. Elon, yeah. if you're listening, welcome. Come, come on. Well... I think that's it, um, Stephen. Thanks. Gotta, so we got We already. He's already been on. We don't. Already I ask know, him. but we got to. You want to ask him? Again? Yeah. Who's Who's your second? You tell you. We always end the show with who's your favorite Republican. You already told us that. Who's your second favorite Republican? Who else you got that's good you got for somebody us? Somebody else. Somebody we should read a book on, or somebody we should write a letter to. Uh, I don't know if Patton was a Republican, but I like nice. George, George Patton. Patton. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Got to bet he was. Oh man, he he led a kind of a crazy life. Yeah. He didn't. Then he yeah. didn't. <laughs> well, great. Man you know, out of time. When we've had repeat guests on, we do not ask the question. Just so you know. I want to we- start the tradition. <laughs> we, I, I like talking to people about who their favorite Republicans are, and then second, and then third. Someday, somebody's going to say us. If we ask, go far down enough the ladder, who's your favorite, eventually, who's your 4,682nd favorite Republican, far. somebody's going to say James Ball. That's Absolutely. True. That's true. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, we'll end it. Steven, thanks for the time. This has been really informative. Really appreciate you coming on. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I know you're, you're chuckling. It is. No, yeah. This, this, is, this is not something that we hear a lot about in Oregon because there is no oil and gas industry it working here in Oregon because our, our government has uh, kicked them out. Mm-hmm. So, Well, can I make one more pitch before I go? Please do. All right. 
My name is Stephen Lloyd, and I am the chairman of the Young Republicans of Oregon. And I want to see solutions and not roadblocks put in front of Oregonians. I want to see our environment taken care of. I want to see um, more trees planted, and I want to see you know all, all the good things for our for our community and for our future. And if you want to make Oregon a little bit of a better place, come check us out or the Young Republicans of Oregon dot org, and then. Uh, yeah, I would love to communicate, talk with you. If you have any questions about what we talked about tonight, please reach out to me. Cool. Appreciate Steven it. for Oregon. Yeah. I love yeah. to do it. Yeah. All right. And with that, listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.